Hi, today I am here with Ben Modell. Thank you so much for being on Kava. Um, I am super curious about your story because I really don't know a whole lot about it. Um, so you, I'm, start, I'm trying to figure it out myself. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. So where did you grow up? I grew up in the suburbs uh, in, in a county called Westchester out in, 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 the, in New York State. Okay. That's by Long Island Sound. Not all Long Island, but it's on Long Island Sound. Um, yeah, small, small uh, town called Larchmont that's uh, near the water. Oh, okay. So did you have any favorite childhood memories growing up out there by the water? Um, um, I think that for me, my because my my main interest, unlike everybody else who is into sports and going out on their boat, I was interested in old movies mm. uh, and silent movies. Sometimes our lives unfold. We have interests, drives, gifts, and circumstances that move us in one direction. Ben Modell is no different. He had an interest at a young age in silent film. He just happened to live in the same town as Walter Kerr, who basically wrote the book on silent film and was able to spend time with Mr. Kerr. When Ben went to college, he was able to put to use those piano lessons accompanying silent films in film class. Welcome back to Kaval the Podcast. I'm Kelly Archibald, and I want to thank you for tuning in. We live in a crazy world, so we made this podcast to shine some hope into your life. Our guests have lived through some incredible things, both good and bad, and they want to share their stories with you. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. If you've been inspired or encouraged by these stories, please consider supporting us on Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information about us at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. So what made you interested in silent movies? Who introduced you to that? Well, according to my parents, I discovered Charlie Chaplin on TV when I was a toddler because they used to run silent comedy films on TV. This is a group in the 1960s, the early to mid-60s. At the time, this is before home video. This is before cable. This is in the days that you hear about of the three networks a couple of independent stations and a public television station. Right. And there was a dial you flipped through. And uh, silent comedy films from the 1950s onward were often used as children's programming or filler hmm. on public television. And there were TV packages of Chaplin comedies and uh, slapstick comedies uh, packaged in shows like Who's the Funny Man's and Comedy Capers and Mischief Makers. And so uh, apparently that's where I, I just became, I, that was what I was drawn to or anything with visual, visual humor. There was a comedian in New York area named Soupy Sales yes. who had a show for kids, yes. but it was also kind of hip for the grownups watching. Uh-huh. And he did a lot of stuff with visual comedy, uh, you know, uh, that I, I must've been drawn to as well. Cause I, I have a, a a memory of, of watching his, his show and a lot of his stuff doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Um, but you know, he would have a, his pet giant dog mm-hmm. called white Fang. who you just see the claw would come in 
from the upper right-hand corner of the screen. And somebody, a guy named Frank Nastasi would speak, but it was just this gravelly, and you had to imagine it. So, um, and all, 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 all this stuff that was off, off camera. But um, that's when I, I, I you know, as, as a toddler, apparently. Wow. And then um, I just started, because the only way to see more silent movies uh, again, before the age of home video, right. was to wait for public television to run it, or if you knew a collector, or if you you could save up money and buy eight millimeter copies. Wow! And so, my folks clipped out an ad for a company called Blackhawk Films that had been around since the I think the thirties or forties. Uh, they were having a sale, and I bought a Charlie Chaplin comedy short with, you know, some allowance money and stuff I saved up, and and that's really. Um, you know, where I, I, it's a big part of how I got yeah. started being just really interested in, in seeing more of the films because there was now a way to do that. Wow. <laughs> you know, not living in New York City where you could go and see stuff right. at the Museum of Modern Art mm. uh, and, and other repertory cinemas. So how old were you when you bought that, uh, Charlie I was Chaplin? nine. I remember nine. being nine because it's the first year I started getting to use the 8mm home movie camera to experiment with stuff. Oh, Wow. So this just, um, this was a passion early on. Yeah, and it's just something, you know, uh, I don't know that I discovered and pursued it. It's always sort of been part of what I've been interested in. Uh-huh. You know, the same the same year, the same summer, I went to a, a camp, a sleepaway camp in the Adirondacks, and while everybody else was playing sports and going hiking, I was... I did, there was a dark room and a photography class, and that wow. that just really piqued my interest. <laughs> wow, that is so fun. So, um, did you study this in school, or did you study um, something else? Yeah, a little bit, uh, and also, you know, my dad who had an interest in photography. Okay, uh, he and I set up a dark our dark room uh, uh-huh. that same year, and we both he started taking classes and. And there were classes. Uh, there was a class being offered at, at my middle school and then high school that I that I took. So I, 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 you know, was able to pursue it that way, and also just figured out a lot of stuff on my own. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's so. That's so interesting that yeah. that you and your dad got to do it together. That's that's fun too. Where did you attend school? Did you attend school out there on the? Yeah. Yeah, I went to uh, the high school, uh, Larchmont, Mamaroneck, shared a high school. So okay. I went to Mamaroneck High School. Okay. Um, if you've ever heard Joan Rivers, who grew yeah. up in Larchmont, talk about her, her, her growing up, she would always talk about Larchmont High School. Just, I guess, perhaps not to get anybody mad at her, but it's, <laughs> it's, the, same, it's the same area. And okay. it's the same town where um, there's a, 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 a woman writer named Jean Kerr. Okay. who's probably most famous for Please Don't Eat the Daisies. Okay. And a lot of other humor writing and some uh-huh. plays. And her husband, Walter Kerr, was a drama critic for the New York Times. And they lived in our town in okay. that Please Don't Eat the Daisies house. Oh. And when I was 12, I got a copy as a present of a new book that Walter Kerr had written called The Silent Clowns, which was all about silent film comedy. Wow. I guess he was a huge, huge fan and... My folks remember hearing he had a huge film collection, oh. and although we didn't know his exact address, it was at the end of this one particular street, right on the water, so we knew it was like, right. it's a small town, if you put the, his right. name and, and the name of the street, it would get to him, 
I wrote him a letter telling him of my interest in watching silent films and wanting to see more, and that I heard he had a collection. And would he be willing to show me uh, anything? And he called four days later. Oh, how fun! And, yeah, and so I, I basically, from the time I was 12 through, in I think after college, we'd go to his house a few times a year to watch stuff, and he had 16-millimeter prints of just about everything. Oh, wow. That is incredible. What a treasure that was. Mm. Yeah, it was pretty... You know, looking back, uh, you know, watch silent comedy films at right. the home of the guy who literally wrote the book on it. It was really cool. <laughs> yes, yes. So once you were out of high school, what did you do? Well, I went to film school. Okay. You know, I was really interested in filmmaking. I was a super great filmmaker in middle school and high school, and I did all that stuff and wanted to be, wanted to go into film production. Okay. And I had, um, I'd also been taking piano lessons since, uh, I was, I guess, five mm. uh, through high school, and I wasn't conservatory material by any by any stretch of the imagination, and I, I'm still not, and uh, and I knew that going into music for college wasn't going to be it, so I went for film production, mm -hmm. and um, uh, when I was in film school, I discovered that the basic film history class that you everybody has to take their first year. The first semester is silent film. The second semester is sound, okay. up to about nineteen the 1950s, you know, noir and neorealism. And the silent films, again, this is before video, so the silent films were shown in complete silence mm -hmm. because what they had were what everybody had, which is 16-millimeter copies with no sound on them. And Walter Kerr had made up soundtracks on his reel-to-reel -reel recorder uh, from instrumental recordings and stuff, but they didn't have that at film school. And, oh, wow. And it kind of bothered me to watch these films die in front of film students every week because mm. I knew they, they didn't have to. And um, I don't I don't know what possessed me. This is a, this is a part of uh, the story that I still don't understand uh -huh. uh, because I had never done like a piano recital. I was in band in high, in high mm -hmm. school and I was part of band concerts, but to get up, uh, by myself and play an instrument in front of people, it was extremely uncomfortable. Wow. And yet I I had the idea to accompany silent films for the film classes and went to the head wow. of the department who liked the idea and I started playing. Wow. And maybe it's because I was helping the films and maybe it's because huh. I knew the lights would be out. Right, <laughs> right, right. And people would be watching a movie that, that, that helped me get, get over it. Uh-huh. That's so neat that yeah. you had that idea. Uh, and yeah. you knew that music needed to be to help people enjoy the film more. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. So for our listeners, tell me about silent film. Like, um, what was what were the years of silent film, and when did sound become a part of film? Um, well, film itself begins in the eighteen nineties. Okay. Um, not not necessarily projected. Initially, started out in little one or one and a half minute loops okay. that you would watch in a, uh, through a, like a peephole, um, that, uh, Edison's company, uh, patented as a device called the kinetoscope. Okay. Uh, and, uh, then there were other devices like that. You'd go to a kinetoscope parlor and watch, watch films, little short things, or they would have a, 
you know, uh, a fight broken up into four or five pieces. You have to go from one machine to another. Okay. Um, but basically, uh, eventually, uh, different inventors found ways to project film in theaters, and that's really uh, when when movie go- movie going of some sort begins in the, around the turn of the century or in the late eighteen nineties. Okay. And. But basically, silent film goes all the way through around 1929, at least in the U.S. That's the big year of the transition over to sound, although there had been attempts all all the way uh, back to the beginning to find a way to add sound Mm -hmm. uh, to moving pictures. And supposedly, Edison's main interest in moving pictures was as something to illustrate the phonograph. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Well, that's super interesting. Um, Because I think today, a lot of the kids would not have that information <laughs> available yeah. to them. Um, they don't know the history of it, which is um, in the technology behind it that was genius um, mm. that we get to, you know, experience today. But thank you. Um, yeah. So was that, so filmmaking, was that your profession? That was, that's what I was aiming for. Okay. You know, I have a, I have a degree in film production and I uh, did what I could, uh, you know, with writing and um, trying to make short films. And uh, there was a certain period where I uh, wound up doing uh, improv comedy. Oh, fun! Uh, uh, through a group called the First Amendment in New York City. They were one of the top. They're not. They're not continuing to perform now, but they were really one of the top improv groups in, in New York City. Um, this is in the mid to late 80s. And uh, doing sketch comedy and trying to do stand-up. And um, I, I produced and directed uh, a no-budget comedy feature. In the, in, in, I guess we shot in 89, 90. Mm-hmm. It came out a couple years later. Um, it was well-reviewed. It closed after three weeks because, uh, well, there's a whole long story about it. But I just got to a point where uh, I, I had... I, kind of felt like I was banging my head against the wall mm. with, with uh, filmmaking and, and doing comedy and stuff like that. But that's definitely, um, that's where I, that's where I thought I was aiming, mm. aiming for and, and had it. Um, and it's, you know, it's around then that I, I, uh, I've, I switched, kind of switched gears mm-hmm. and began concentrating on doing stuff with silent movies. Okay. Um, and so were you, um, you were still in New York, obviously. Yeah. And so you switched gears. So what does that mean? Well, I, I was just really burnt out okay. uh, from, from trying to make things happen. Uh, it's general frustration and, um, and hit a number, a number of walls with the film I had made, with the sketch group I had uh, been part of which which kind of worked out really well for a year and a half or so and then kind of dispersed mm-hmm. um this is a time when the comedy clubs all of a sudden were, were either closing or you had to pay to go on stage and it just oh, wow. you know uh and i i had this uh moment where i realized that anything i'd ever done with silent movies had kind of just worked itself out and handed itself to me you know, right. between, you know, living in the town with, where Walter Kerr lived and going to his house to watch films. And when I was in college, uh, I, when I was playing for films, I met a guy who had been a movie organist in the 1920s and learned everything from him. Oh, wow. And was 
playing for classes twice a week taught by a man named Bill, William K. Everson or Bill Everson, who's many of whose books I owned growing up. Wow. And so I thought, well, if this thing just kind of seems to be the path of least resistance, let me see what happens if I lean in that direction. And yeah. it's I've kind of been on that track ever since. Wow. That's awesome. So you got to be connected with some really amazing people. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, They were not mentors in a didactic sense, were giving uh-huh. me some homework and stuff, but they right. were people who were maybe t- two generations up from me and who said yes wow. and were happy to answer questions. And it's something I tell, mm. you know, I teach a class on silent film at Wesleyan University in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And occasionally I'll, I'll, I'll be brought in to a, a film studies class at another university, either in person or virtually like we are now. And I'll, I, I always tell people, if you have a chance to connect with somebody who does or has already done what you do, uh-huh. Uh, but is maybe one or maybe two generations older than you, will hatch on to them because they've yeah. already done it, right. you know, and it's a great opportunity to learn from somebody's experience, even yeah. if what they did and what they've done in the technology has changed or whatever, but they've already done it. And it, yeah. it's it's something that, that um, I, I've continued to, to do right. um, when I've had an opportunity to connect with somebody who's already done what I'm getting into. Yeah. So, what is your life like today? What are you um, What are you doing these days? Uh, well, um, you know, uh, before before the pandemic, I was you know making a living uh, working as a silent film accompanist, uh-huh. uh, playing piano or theater organ to accompany silent films, both in New York City and a series that I created and produced. Uh, called the Silent Clowns Film Series. Uh, I play at the Museum of Modern Art. I'm a resident film accompanist there, as well as at the Library of Congress wow. at their preservation campus in Culpeper, Virginia. And I travel, uh, d- traveled. Right. Um, <laughs> and about eight, nine years ago, I started, uh, again, wasn't really planning to, but it just opened itself up, uh, started a DVD label uh, doing quality restorations, releases of films that you've never heard of but you should from the silent mm-hmm. film era and then what i've been doing now uh you know since the, when the shutdown happened mm-hmm. I, I managed to pivot to doing virtual shows within days okay. so i i came back from a weekend of shows in beatrice nebraska the first weekend of march of 2020 uh-huh. a few days later we were all shut down and i mm-hmm. i realized i had I'd had the idea for doing a live streamed, live accompanied silent film program for a couple of years and had gradually accumulated a lot of the wires and pieces of equipment to make it happen. And I now had an opportunity where, and a reason to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. So I, I created something called that I called the silent comedy watch party. I called mm-hmm. my friend, Steve Massa, uh, who I've collaborated with on many silent film and silent comedy film projects and programs, and asked him if he'd be up for you know helping do the film introductions, and we we did a, what I consider a pilot for the show in March March fifteenth of last year. Okay, it, it worked. Yeah, the tech basically worked, and what was you know, we've been doing it every every week for the last year, wow. and. Um, and doing that has, has allowed me the opportunity to tell 
a, a variety of different uh, venues like art house cinemas or museums. Uh, you know, if you want to continue to offer silent film with live music, you can. Mm-hmm. I figured it out. And here's how we do it. Um, but the thing about the silent comedy watch party that, that kind of floored us was it was at the beginning of the shutdown. And mm-hmm. rather than just being a show that we moved on, onto YouTube, it from the comments we got, and we had like a couple hundred people watching the first the first show, people would write to us and say, oh, I really needed this. Thank you for the yeah. much needed laughter. And it, it was, it, it, instead of just being a show, it became, we realized what we were doing was something that was helping people out during an extremely tense time. Right. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. That's, what a gift that thanks, is. Thanks. That's awesome. Um, so that continued for the past year. Yeah, we had our, well, we're recording uh, now, uh, I guess it's, 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 today's the 25th or 26th of March, but this past Sunday on March 21st, we we had our one-year anniversary show, Yeah. and uh, we're still doing it every single week, Sundays at 3 o'clock uh, Eastern time uh-huh. uh, for free on YouTube. So yeah, every, sing, every single week, we, we, find some, we find more and more sh- comedy shorts and we put them up and I play for them live and uh, bring Steve in remotely through a, a great piece of uh, software that I use. It's kind of like having a small TV studio in, in your laptop. Yeah. But but uh, people, we've built up an audience all over the planet wow. uh, of all ages, which has been a lot of fun. That is incredible. That is absolutely incredible. Well, congratulations on your one year. And where can they find you? What is your YouTube um, my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash silent film music. And okay. all the information about the show is on silentcomedywatchparty.com. Okay. Okay. That is awesome. Well, um, so tell me what, um, what gave you hope during all of this? Like you had a lot of hiccups, um, <laughs> that, um, to help you continue to have success. Do you mean in the past year or just in general? Or just in general. <laughs> just in general. Did you have, um, was it just truly the love of silent film? Well, it's a combination of things, you mm-hmm. know. Um, following a, uh, an interest where I noticed that I found the path of least resistance kept mm-hmm. opening up. Okay. Um, and it helped. And I think that uh, gradually and very slowly, adopting a a work philosophy that uh, has helped me, you know, it's very, you know, I I mean, I I realized early on that I can't sit and wait by the phone Mm. for people to call, especially, you know, when you're in a a very strange little field like what I'm in. But but then it's also possible, especially this is the great thing about uh, the age we're in of the internet and social media is that it's possible to rather than wait for somebody to pick you, for you to pick yourself Mm -hmm. and create a, you know, create some sort of a presence and um, make something happen, which is kind of like what I, what I did with the DVD label uh, using crowdfunding Mm -hmm. and manufacture on demand. But I've also found that instead of, of seeing a situation that's not happening, let's say some kind of a, uh, whether it's a presentation or a showing or whatever that some so and so isn't doing, uh, while it's real easy to just say, 
oh, why don't they do this? Oh, you know, they don't like this. Or, well, of course they don't, you know, I, 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 I have gotten more mileage out of figuring, okay, well, how does this actually work? Mm. <laughs> Instead of getting upset that it's not happening, because uh, you figure everybody means well, everybody's doing is doing their best, whether it looks that way or not. So just try to understand the process mm. that's happening and, you know, learn what the, what the game is and... Mm. I don't know if play the game is the right way to put it, but right. to, you know, rather than shaking your fist uh, and, and cursing and, and complaining on, on Facebook, but to say, okay, well, if this isn't happening, it looks like it ought to be. Maybe there's a way that nobody's thought of yet or, or that I just don't understand yet to, to try and figure it out. And, I, I, you know, um, you know there, there's, a, there's a lot to that, to, to yeah. not taking things personally mm. uh you know to and it's not like uh i'm i'm you know i sneeze confetti every day right. or anything but it's 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 a uh, okay this thing i want to try to do let's just assume it's going to happen mm-hmm. and then you just you know uh, knock on doors and try different things yeah. and rather than getting mad at the people who say no you celebrate the people who say Yes, yeah. <laughs> and, tr- and try to c- try to continue. Yes, um, but you know, who knows the the the, the state everything is in right now? Where it's going to go? Right. Um, when we're going to get out of our, our Zoom boxes? Right. Or or, or whatever. Right. But and I you know it's not that I haven't tried a bunch of things that haven't worked either. Um, but I, I think that having that that attitude of okay well how does this work right <laughs> or or thinking well i don't know let's see what happens instead of immediately going through a list of why something might not work out right. let's just try it and see what happens mm-hmm. and maybe it'll work and maybe it, it it won't yeah and just being open open to things as they come along yeah that's awesome that is there's so much wisdom in what you just said i think that is so incredibly true uh, yeah. what would you want people to take away from your story Oh, uh, I, I I don't know. I don't as presupposed to understand humanity or how everything <laughs> you know right. works. And I always think I often think about people when you hear celebrities say, "Well, if you really believe in yourself and you stick to it, you'll make it." And it's always people who have already made it who right. say stuff like that. So <laughs> I, I really, you know, I, I feel funny just giving any kind of blanket advice or anything. Right. Um, but. I think that, uh, you know, it's not easy to do, you know, not right. taking uh, setbacks and things personally mm-hmm. and carrying yeah. grudges and stuff like right. that. Um, but but having, have, having a, you know, having an outlook that's a little more about the process and the, at mm-hmm. least in the arts than yes. about the thing that you're, you're making and, and getting it to people. Like, yes. This is one of the things that I've, I've found uh, some kind of ability with is is finding the wormhole between one thing and another. Mm -hmm. And rather than get uh, upset about people saying no or uh, why aren't they doing this? Like, okay, there are people over here who want to see this thing that's over here Mm -hmm. in a a bunch of film cans. How And I'll find a way to get it from one place to the other. It's it's, it's a fascination I've had. You know, the film, uh, the feature film I mentioned Mm-hmm. You know, we would have really successful film festival screenings and then go meet with distributors and development people who just like, 
were like, well, we don't see it. But we saw, you know, we sold out this, this show and it was extended. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yes, we said, oh, there's an audience, but we don't want to. <laughs> it was oh. the, how do you get around the middleman? Yeah. And, you know, uh, one of my models is there's always a workaround. Yes. And, and so, you know, uh, you know, just because it looks like something is supposed to go or be done a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that's Mm. the the way or the only way to do it. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. I I don't know how how else to, to, to describe it. That's awesome. Do you have something to do with Ernie Kovacs? Oh Yeah. Well, this is the other thing that happened as far as the path of least resistance is that there's something else I had noticed at at a certain point later on after I'd been doing so much with silent film that anything I dealt with that had to do with Ernie Kovacs also just sort of worked out. Um, In 1996, I put together a fan website for Ernie Kovacs because there wasn't one. And this is the dawn of the Internet. I'm I'm at a temp job and I teach myself HTML and this is, you know, in the day of <laughs> dial-up modems and having, you know, your website is actually your pro- sir, your internet provider that is slashed then a tilde and so your username. Oh, wow. And I put up a site for for Ernie Kovacs thinking, oh, my gosh, I hope I don't have get a, a legal notice, have to take it down. Right. And three months later, I get an email from Edie Adams. Uh-huh. Uh, who's Ernie Kovacs, who was married to Ernie Kovacs. Uh, Ernie was her first husband, and uh, and also from her son, Josh Mills, and uh, saying how much she loved the website and Aww. what a great job it was and everything. And she and I became friends for a number of years, and uh, I, you know, I stayed in touch with her, but also with Josh. And when Edie passed, um, Josh brought me on as the the arch- archivist for the collection of, of, of the kinescopes and videotapes. Because okay. I, I, knew, I knew the material really well, and I think his mom, <laughs> I think Edie sensed that from the conversations I'd had with her. Mm. You know, when uh, we, we've put out now three or four DVD box sets of Kovacs material, as well as Edie's t- television series. Okay. Uh, yeah. That is so neat. Um, yeah. How sweet that they um, they were kind and they appreciated what you all the effort that you put into it. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's really, you know, it's really wonderful. Again, it was one of these things where I went from watching the shows on public television in the late 70s and being a fan to, you know, being on the phone with Edie. Wow. <laughs> and asking her questions and, and stuff like that. And the other thing that I was able to do uh, that I, I'm particularly pleased with that, uh, was that because of my association with the Library of Congress, I knew... Uh, this is, again, one of these things where I just sort of, my radar picked up that there's something that the Library of Congress, the moving image section does every year. They acquire a few large collections uh-huh. of, of television or film. And I connected my friends at the Library of Congress with Josh. And in 2015, they acquired all the, the physical materials of this the kinescopes and videotapes of the Ernie Kovacs and Edie Adams collection. So they're now being, you know, your tax dollars at work are looking after the, 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 the materials. Oh, wow. um, Josh, of course, still has the rights and everything, but uh-huh. rather than sitting in a, a you know, a temperature-controlled uh, storage place in Burbank, they're now, you know, at the Library uh-huh. of Congress being looked after. Oh. And uh, we got to have the, the, the collection really 
really thoroughly recatalogued. So there was stuff that we didn't know we had wow. that suddenly turned up in the collection because of the work done at the library. Wow, that is incredible. Well, yeah. you are a part of history. Well, I'm trying to, you know, like Josh has been trying to do through the DVD sets we, that we did with Shout Factories, like to continue what Edie was trying to do to get mm-hmm. Ernie's work out there. It's, it's, you know, uh, I think this is a part of my 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 take on a lot of things. Is it's about the the material we're getting out and not, uh, you know, what kind of billing I get and what kind right. of my carpet gets rolled out for me. It's just, right. You know, we want the people. There are people who want to see this stuff. How do we make this work? Right. Uh, you know, to yeah. f- find the wormhole to get the stuff out there to the fans who want to see it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, I'm sure that they greatly appreciate you because there are people out there that are interested and wouldn't be able to see it otherwise. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Um, Anything else? No, no, thanks. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And it's, uh, yeah, I'm glad to be able to uh, help help you, uh, you know, share some of these interesting ideas with with people who listen. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to Kaval the Podcast. It's our joy to share these stories of hope in a confusing world. To keep up with our guests and adventures in podcasting, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We would also love it if you gave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. It helps us continue to share hope around the world. We are so grateful for our listeners who financially support Kavah the Podcast. If you would like to become a supporter, please consider donating via Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. I would like to thank my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I could not do this without you. You make this happen, and I can't express my gratitude. Maybe you've been listening because you found yourself in a desperate place. We want you to know that all is not lost. It is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you, those who've waited to find a positive outcome. Please be sure and connect with us via our website or social media. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.